Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good morning. My name is Jeff and I am one of the leaders here at the church. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. We're going to work our way through the entirety of the chapter pretty much, depending on the time constraints here. Um, I will start in verse 1. And, and just know this, that if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you forgot to bring one or, or whatever, there's, there's hardback black Bibles underneath the seat around you. And you can grab one of those hardback Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that. That would be a gift to you. We love to fill the chairs with Bibles, and you can take, take one home for you. Now, hear me. We do not want to add to your Bible collection that you have started at home, right? If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those with you. Um, but if you can find your way to Genesis chapter 27... And as you're doing that, I just want to give us a little bit of a reminder of what we've been doing these last many months. We've been studying the book of Genesis for over three months now. So the first part of January, we decided to do a study in the Old Testament book of Genesis. And, and I just want to remind everyone that the word Genesis, it, it just truly means beginnings or origins. And so what we're doing in studying this Old Testament book is, is we're trying to get an understanding for how God created everything to work, how God's intended um, everything to, to, um, to be upon the earth and have a real understanding of what God is doing, um, not just in this time of the Old Testament, but in our modern day right now. And so we were studying this idea of, of God creating uh, the, the universe. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning, God created. So we have a, a, theo, a, a theological idea that God is the creator of everything. And, and he's created it good. And he did everything really good. And he placed mankind in that beautiful place. And it was called, the Bible tells us, paradise. And not paradise because it was like, like beautiful and the weather was great and, and all of that. It was called paradise for this one reason. is because God was there. Who would agree with me that you can find paradise regardless of situation or circumstance if God is in there? Some of you have maybe forgotten that idea. May I remind you that doesn't matter what this world would, would throw at us. And this world oftentimes throws a lot of garbage our way. But if God is in it, then we can survive it. Not only survive it, we can, this sounds so crazy, but we can find joy and hope in it. Why? Because God is in there with us. So God creates Adam and Eve, and he is in the garden or this place of paradise with them. But along comes a serpent. This is the Cliff Notes version. The serpent we know to be Satan. Satan comes into the garden, the place of paradise with God and Adam and Eve, and he tempts them to disobey the one command that God had given them. You shall not eat from this one tree. And we won't go over all of that. But know this, that the serpent was crafty, that Satan tempted Eve and Adam, and they disobeyed God, and they ate from that one tree. 
That disobedience, we later learn, is this thing called sin. And because sin is in the world, now God has to banish mankind from his presence. He actually pushes Adam and Eve out of paradise. But before he does so, he makes a couple promises. And this is the the mercy and the compassion of God. He speaks to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And he says, because you have done this, cursed will you be. Oh, rejoice in that, that, that God is going to curse Satan and he will abolish him once and for all eventually. And we love that. That he makes this promise, I'm gonna put enmity or, or uh, opposition and, and dis- discord between you and humanity. And then I'm going to send a, a restorer of sorts, a, a redeemer of sorts. I'm going to send a Messiah. He says, I'm going to put the seed of a woman on the earth and he will restore all things. And this seed of a woman, the Messiah, the chosen one, we know to be Jesus. God promises in that garden before he kicks Adam and Eve out that I'm going to restore you one day. And I'll restore all of your generations one day. And I will do so through my plan. Oh, I love this. And my plan alone, he says. And it will be through the seed of a woman. It will be through a descendant of Eve. And it's from this place that we start reading the book of Genesis, looking for the thread of this person, this seed that is to come. We are studying Genesis with one motive, to find Jesus in it. And you'll say, but Jeff, that doesn't, the book doesn't even mention Jesus' name. Yes, I know that. But you can see the workings of God in it as he brings Jesus to the front. We see the first sons, Jacob, uh, or sorry, Caleb. Sorry, I'm losing myself here. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, right? But one of the brothers kills another brother. And there's this tension, like, wait, but God promised that he would send a descendant through them. And now one of them is gone. Oh, what should we do? But God God keeps the promise alive through the one son, even though, listen to me, even though he's a murderer. See, you've been taught to believe that God only works through people who are perfect. Well, that's stupid. It's not even even biblical. It doesn't even make sense. God's plan will come to be, and he will use all kinds of humanity to make it happen. It's not necessarily saying he approves of murder. Would you all agree that he does not? Some of you did. That's awesome. (laughs) For those people like, I'm worried right now. Well, I don't know. It depends. (laughs) And from Cain and Abel, we move to Noah, where God is so frustrated with the sin that is on the earth. And he says, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to wipe it out. And we're like, but what, what about the promise? He's like, well, I'll have Noah, I'll have him build an ark, and, and he'll survive. And so the seed now makes its way through Noah. And Noah was also cruel and wicked and did some crazy things. And you read his story. And, and then we turn our attention to a man named Abraham, a, a, a man from a, a land called Haran, who, who hears the voice of God and tells him to leave his land and his people to go to a, a place that God promises him. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into a, a great people group and this and that. So he and his wife, Sarah, they move down into this promised land area. And the only issue there is that his wife and, and he are barren. They don't have any children. And God miraculously provides a child through them. This son, his name is Isaac, the promised one, right? And the promise of God is still alive through Isaac. And so Isaac and his wife, Sarah, this, or Rebecca, this is an interesting story. And this is kind of where we've been for the last few weeks. So I just want to catch us up. Abraham looks at his son, Isaac, and he knows the promise that God had made to him. 
And he knows what's hanging in the stake. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I will send the seed of a woman. He knows this is taking place. And yet he looks at his son Isaac and goes, but he doesn't even have a wife, let alone children. If he dies, then the promise dies. And so he sends his servant back to Haran, where he's from, and he asks his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And the Lord gets involved in this. And the Lord brings out Rebekah to the well to meet the servant. Long story, we won't go over all of that again. And she, she's asked to leave her family and to come with him, a stranger, mind you, right? This is way before stranger danger. This is before all of that. She leaves her land and she goes with him to marry a man she's never met before. Her family was unwilling that she go right away, but But she says, I'll go. Much like her future father-in-law, she says, I will leave my family behind and I will go to the place that you're taking me. And as she she rides into the city for the first time, seeing her soon-to-be husband, Isaac, she modestly veils herself as she meets him for the first time. Isaac takes her to be his wife. And the Bible tells us that he loved her very much. The promise still hangs in the balance because even though now he's, Married, they are barren. We read that again. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about that. And so Isaac, it says that he prayed for his wife to the Lord for 20 years. Wow. And he prays to the Lord for his wife for 20 years. God hears his prayer, responds, and she conceives. And in the middle of her pregnancy, now it's, it's turmoil to her. It's painful to her. She inquires of the Lord, Lord, what on earth is happening to me? I don't understand this pregnancy. None of the other women seem to be going through the turmoil and the struggle that I'm going through. What's happening? She inquires of the Lord. Just hear this, that both Isaac and Rebecca are people who listen to God, who seek God's counsel, and who love each other very much. And God responds to her with this oracle. We'll call it a prophecy. And he says these crazy words to her. You ever hear God speak to you and it just sounds crazy? Right? And then, okay. And then one day it makes sense to you. He says to her, with her belly still round with, with pregnancy, he says, There are two nations inside of you. She's like, I'm sorry. She's like, What does that mean exactly? <laughs> two nations inside of you, and they will be at uh, opposition to one another always. He said, One will be stronger than the other. And he says, And the older will serve the younger. And eventually she gives birth to twins, and all of a sudden she goes, Aha, that's what he was saying to me. And those two twins do exactly what God said would happen, that they are at war with each other constantly. Jacob and Esau constantly fighting. Jacob's constantly trying to to supplant his older brother Esau, trying to take his position time and time and time again. And when he says, when God speaks prophecy, when he says that the older will serve the younger, it will come to pass. And we read last week where Esau was out in the field hunting game and he comes back and he's famished. He's, he's wondering, oh, I'm going to die if I don't eat. And he sees his younger brother Jacob cooking stew and he says, give me some of that stew or I'm going to die. And Jacob, like the conniving younger brother that he is, right, says, oh, I'll give you some stew, but you have to give me your birthright first. I just want to pause right here and I'm saying this because my parents are here and my older brother is not. I have an older brother. And if my mommy would have came to me and says, God told me that your older brother's going to serve you forever, there wouldn't have been a day gone by that I wouldn't remind my older brother that, that, that he's my servant. Yes? And there is much tension between the older brother and the younger brother. There's no question about that. 
And Esau, he sells his birthright for some stew. And we find out even later that if the promise of God is going to come to, to play, that Esau must not be the one because he's willing to give up his birthright so quickly. In fact, we learn later that he marries two Hittite women. Uh, I don't bore you with the details, but that it was forbidden by Abraham. He says, do not marry the women here. Go back to Haran and marry those women, which is why he got Rebecca for his son Isaac. Are we all caught up? I feel like I'm yelling at you. We all caught up. <laughs> Woo! All right. Well, we're out of time. So I got to pray. <laughs> And the, the, the boys grow up. Esau becomes a skillful hunter. Uh, Jacob dwells in tents. And it's in this moment that we begin to see that the relationship between Isaac and Rebekah break down. And it's, 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 it breaks down because of this one thing. It's called favoritism. And if you're a parent here with multiple kids, I warn you against this. The Bible tells us that, that Isaac loved Esau more than he did his other son, Jacob. And Rebecca, conversely, loved Jacob more than she did her brother Esau, or her son Esau. And, and so there's this, this tension between the two. And do you, do you believe with me that they would constantly remind the other person that mom loves me best or dad loves me best? And, and there's just tension there. And it's in, it's in the middle of this tension. Esau selling his birthright to his younger brother Jacob. He's married to Hittite women, which is against what Abraham would want. And we enter into this scene where now Isaac is advanced in years, and, well, I'll just read it. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. Um, before I do, though, is it okay if I pray? It might slow me down a little bit, so that'd be okay. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do. We thank you that you've given us this story and that you help us to understand this. That the promise that you made in Genesis chapter 3 will come to pass. That nothing, no human anything can thwart that. And you, you will produce the promise that you said you would. We hold on to that, Lord, because even now as you speak into our lives, that there are promises given to us that we oftentimes wonder, will they come to pass? But God, you are trust, trustworthy then, and we believe you to be trustworthy now. And so we pray in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit would help us, he would teach us and instruct us, and that all the glory would go to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the seed of a woman who's come to rescue us. And we thank you in his name only. Amen. Amen. So there are a lot of verses. I'll read and I'll add some color commentary, and then I'll read, and we'll just go back and forth. So you, again, can follow along on the screens. It'll be real easy for you. Um, and I'm just praying that the story will make sense to us. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that they could not see, he called his son Esau, the older son, to him and said, my son. And Esau answers, here am I. He says, behold, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. I think I'm dying soon. So I need to do something here. And he says, now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt some game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat of it. And then my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac is probably 137 years old at this time, which is kind of old, I'm just saying. And, and he thinks he's going to die at some point. And before he dies, he, he wants to bless his son. But he's going to bless the wrong one. He would have heard from Rebekah that, that, that Jacob is the one to get the blessing. Jacob's the one that's going to get the birthright because Esau's not worthy of it. But, but, but Isaac won't have it. 
And why is this? Because he loves Esau more than he loves Jacob. And so he conspires, this is crazy, he conspires against the will of God himself to do this on his own. Okay, I don't know about you, but if you're ever conspiring against the Lord, red light, red light, (laughs) stop advancing with that thought, stop. And see, he, he says it's because of the tasty food that you give me. He is, he's making these decisions, Moses would tell us, because of his appetite, his carnal, fleshly appetite. I'm going to do this because it, it, it fits my needs better. Uh, forget the, the promise that God had made. He says that when he was old and blind and he could not see, I, I promise you he's more than just physically blind. He's missed the reality that, that his son Esau is not worthy of this honor. He's missed that. He's married the two women. He sold his birthright. He should not be blessed, but he doesn't want to see that. And so he says, we're going to make this happen. Go catch me some food and fix it and let's eat. Now, Rebecca, the wife, hears this. Now, the, the implication is that she's sometimes, it's not that she's like eavesdropping, but that she's, she's listening to what her husband is saying to her, her son. And she hears what, what's happening. And she's listening to Isaac say these things to Esau. So when Esau leaves to go to the field to hunt for the game and bring it, Rebecca then grabs her son, Jacob. And he says, dude, I, well, son, I heard you speak, your father speak to your brother. And he says, bring me some game and, and cook it so that I may eat it. And then I'm going to bless you before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, she says. Listen to me. Go do this. Like, gone is the modest woman that veiled herself when she came to, her, 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 to meet Isaac for the first time. Now she's like, she's in charge of this family. That guy's an old man. He can't see nothing. I'm taking control right now. And he says, obey my voice and, and do this. Do as I command. Go into the flock and bring me two young goats so that I can prepare them and make delicious food for your father so that the food that he loves. And then you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he would bless you before he dies. She's conspired or (laughs) co-conspired against Isaac to do something. I think this is a religious moment, to be very frank, because she remembers the prophecy of God. She remembers what God had said. And, And I don't know about you, but sometimes we feel like we have to help God along. A friend of mine told me this morning, he says, I, uh, I love to follow the Lord. I just don't like waiting on him. <laughs> That's so wise. She knows this will come to be, but she can't wait any longer. It's, it's apparent that she's going to miss her opportunity. So she conspires this plan. Um, I was part of a wedding yesterday. A couple friends of mine who were sitting over here somewhere got married right here. That was awesome, Ron and Kathy. Um, And I had, yes. They say, just keep the applause and give money. I'm just saying. (laughs) They're going to take a honeymoon. So, um, but I had the opportunity to to be a part of that wedding. And I I remember sharing with them this one idea. And I said, um, in all things, God wants us to speak the truth to each other in love. And particularly for husbands and wives, that we should be able to speak the truth to the other person, but motivated out of love. Not out of spite or anger or frustration, but motivated out of love. Here's what Rebecca should have done. She should have went to her her husband Isaac and says, "Um, that thing that you're about to do, that that sinful thing that you're about to do, that, that deceitful thing that you're about to do, don't do it. But she doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't go to her husband and say those things. In fact, she grabs her son and tells him something else. In fact, she then brings up the level of evil into this whole situation, into this whole story. She sins against God as well. She, she's going to deceive 
an old blind man. If you read your Bible in Deuteronomy, it says, Cursed be anyone who leads a blind man astray. She's willing to do this. And then the frightening thing is, is how Jacob responds to this whole thing. Look what he says in the next verse. Verse 11, but Jacob says to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall be seen to be mocking him and bring curse upon myself. He doesn't say, mom, you're talking nonsense. He doesn't say that. Know this, godly men and women are first motivated by principle. And Jacob is not acting very godly, is he? No, it is, it is the ungodly who are moved by the, the ways of pragmatism. He says this. He says, well, um, okay, I'll do it, but what if he catches me? <laughs> he doesn't even care that it's wrong to do. He's just like, but I just want to get caught doing it. Sounds like a teenager in here, right? Yes. I'll break the rules as long as I don't get caught. And so they say, well, we'll take some skin of a goat and we'll put it on your arm and and so when your dad feels you, he'll feel the hairy goat arm or whatever. <laughs> like, this is, this is strange. <laughs> I'm just saying. And then she says, if he finds out, let the curse be upon me. I'll just, I'll own it, she says. And so Jacob says, fine. So verse 14, he goes and he takes them and he, he brings the two goats back to his mother and she prepares them into delicious food that he loved. In verse 15, Rebecca then takes the best garments out of Esau's tent. She goes and robs his closet. This, you can't make this stuff up. And puts them on her younger son. And the skin, the skins of the young goat she puts on his hands and on the back of his neck. She puts the delicious food in his hand and then she sends him in to his father. And so verse 18, so he goes into his father and he says, my father, and Isaac responds, he says, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob then says to his father, in the first of what I would say are four or five tests that the Lord puts in front of him to derail him. At any moment, God in great compassion is giving him an opportunity to bounce out of this horrible situation. Maybe, maybe that's helpful for some of us. That in the middle of something that you know to be wrong, God will come alongside and nudge you and he'll, he'll say again and again, are you sure this is what you want to do? Who wants to be real right now? Okay, three people. Four, thank you. Five. All right, everyone else, don't listen. But who here would admit that they choose sin sometimes over the will of God in their life? They choose it. Not like, whoops, I fell into a bucket of sin, but like, like I made the choice, like I, I prepared my day so that I could do this thing. Like I, I orchestrated some events. I told so-and-so I wouldn't be available. Or is this, oh, oh, this hurts a little bit. I'm here, I'm here to say that when we do that, and I promise we do that, if you don't think you do, you're deceiving yourself. You do that. Of course you do. And when you do, God will come alongside you, and he will, he will bump you into the guardrail every now and again. And he'll say, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure this is what you want? Are you sure this is the road you want to go down? And at, at any moment, we can, we can pull that ripcord and just jump out of that situation. Jacob has that opportunity five times here. And then the first one is when his father asks him, who's here? And he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. 
and I have done exactly as you asked me to do. And he repeats what he heard his mom say. I brought you some game so that you can eat it and that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, well, how is it that you have found it so quickly? Hmm? Sounds like Yoda. Hmm? <laughs> and he answers, because the Lord God granted me success. Test number two, fail. And let's add just for extra topping on top, blasphemy. God did not say that. God did not give him <laughs> blessings. It did not help him catch game. He's lying. And Isaac says to Jacob, well, then come near me so I can feel you, my son. <laughs> this is awesome. And I want to know if you really are my son, Esau. So Jacob goes near to Isaac, test number three, and sticks out his arm. And Isaac even says this. He says, well, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands seem to be Esau's. This is weird. And he does not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. And so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? Test four. I am, he says. And then he said, well, then bring the food near to me so I can eat it. And then I can bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father, Isaac, said to him, come near and kiss me. Now, you can imagine at this point, Jacob is like holding his breath. And as he pulls him close, um, Isaac comes near and kisses him. And Isaac sniffs him one last time. With the senses of sight gone, he touches and he smells him. And then he smells the garments that Rebecca had thought to put on him. And he says these words, ah, see the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. He has been deceived fully. The plan worked. I want to say hallelujah, except I don't feel that's appropriate right now. And he begins to bless his son. Verse 28 it says, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let the peoples serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, this is not just some fanciful words that dad is speaking over his son. This is actually um, spirit-inspired words of God himself through the father spoken over his son. He says, this is going to establish who you will be for the rest of your days on the earth. And he's, he utters these things under the... Um, power of the Holy Spirit. And it says that as soon as Isaac finished these words, um, Jacob bolts out the door. That he, he leaves the door, verse 30, and he's scarcely out of the room when Esau, his brother, comes in from hunting. And as he comes in, verse 31, he prepared the delicious food and brings it to his father. And he says to his father, look, dad, arise and eat of your son's game that you can bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to, me, to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled violently. And he said, well, then who was it that hunted game and brought it to me earlier? And I ate it before you came, for I have blessed him already. Yes, and he shall be blessed, he said. As soon as Esau heard these, the words of his father, he cried out an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, but bless me too, father. But he said, your brother came in deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, it is, not, is he not rightly named Jacob, which means deceiver? For he has cheated me out these two times. He took away my birthright and now he has taken away my blessing. But tell me, Dad, you've reserved a blessing for me, he says. 
Isaac answered to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau says to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. It's like a, an anti-blessing. It's the opposite of what he blessed his younger son Jacob. Away from the dew of heaven. By your sword shall, you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break the yoke from your neck. There, there is so much happening in that. And, and as I'm reading this, as I'm studying it for this week, that's a big passage. And you know you can't break part of that up because it doesn't make sense if it's not told in the context of its story. But the, the one sort of repeating question that I, I kept thinking and having is like, we saw early on that, that Esau did not seem to be worthy of the birthright, did he? I mean, selling his birthright for stew and marrying those women, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like he's disqualified himself. But the question I had, but is Jacob any more qualified? Is Jacob any more qualified to receive the blessing from the father? And I think we would all admit the answer is no. And yet God has chosen him to do so. And this, to me, goes all the way back to that Genesis chapter 3 moment when he says, I'm going to do this thing. I will redeem my people. I will bring all of you back into paradise. And it will come through the seed of a woman. It will come through the Messiah, the restorer of all things, my son, Jesus. And when I begin to look at this story through the lens of Jesus, then I, I'm painfully aware of how unqualified I am to receive the blessing from the Lord how at any moment he could call up my, my, uh, my past, my time hop. Is that a thing on Facebook? I have no idea. But you, you, are you reminded of some of those things from a couple years ago? Some of them are great, some of them not so much. And in that moment, we all begin to realize that what God has blessed us with has actually nothing to do with what we've done, but everything to do with what he's chosen to do. And then you throw that through the filter of, of your life now, and then when we sing songs about how good God is, then all of a sudden within me, I just have to sing because he's worthy of it. I have to say things. I have to declare his goodness and his glory forever and ever and ever because, because how he saved me has nothing, in fact, to do with me. And I'm telling you, when that seats into your soul, you can't not sing to him. You can't not proclaim these things to the, the co-worker right in the cubicle next to you. You can't not share this with the, the people you, you go to school with or even your own family members. The question then remains is, is how, do you, how do you help them see this reality in their own life? And for me, it's always been the same story. I tell them how painfully unqualified I am to receive what God has given me. And yet God is still doing things in me. You don't believe that. Why does this thing exist? I never toot my own horn. and It's not even what I'm trying to do here now. But if I didn't believe that God can use 
anyone, and yes, me, <laughs> right? I, I would never have, have thrown my full weight into starting a church seven years ago. I never would have done that. But, but I believe the stories like this in the Old Testament that God can and will produce what he wants to produce on the earth through people. And I'm just, forgive my French, dumb enough to say yes. I wish all y'all were stupid. <laughs> In Jesus' name. <laughs> to just allow that to sit inside of you. I want you to know that, that God does not condone sin. Because we could look at this situation in this story. We could go, well, gosh, they were so deceitful. They did all of these horrible things to their poor old dad. Is God okay with this? The answer is unequivocally No. He is not okay with this. To, to just paraphrase the rest of the story, I won't even read it for you, but you can read the next few verses on your own. But to know this, that after this event takes place, Esau becomes enraged against his brother. And he says, I'm telling you, I'm gonna stay here with daddy, but as soon as daddy dies and I'm finished mourning him, I will hunt my brother Jacob and kill him. And, and Rebecca, again, hears this. <laughs> I don't know what she's doing, just sitting outside the bedroom. <laughs> And because of that, she sends her son Jacob, the one that she loves, away from her, back to Haran, back to her homeland, back to where Abraham was from. And hear me, and she never sees her son again. She ends up dying before Jacob ever returns back home. In fact, Moses doesn't even write about her death in any part of Genesis or any of the Old Testament. She is, she is literally written out of history from this point forward. We have a little mention of her bones, I think, later that she's buried with the family. <laughs> no, God is not okay with sin. And he's not okay with pragmatism, that, he, that we could somehow justify the end or the means to get the end that we want. And because of that, because of that rather, they will reap the consequences of what they've done. The same is true for you and I. That that is how we are to live our lives. In this story, though, know this. When the Lord declares it, when the Lord says that this is going to happen, when the, when the Lord makes a, a promise or an oracle or a prophecy or, what, or whatever language you feel comfortable saying, when he says that's going to take place, it is going to take place. And, and he'll use human deceit to make it happen too. He doesn't want it, but he'll use it. Did you know that? The greatest deceit of all is the evening of the Last Supper when Judas, one of Jesus' 12 closest friends, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. When he sat at the table but a few hours before and broke bread with him, dipped it into the bowl with his Lord Jesus, and then sold him out a few hours later. These high priests gather together a mock trial looking for false witnesses who will lie about Jesus that they might condemn him to death. Deceit has been used by God for centuries to bring about his path. He doesn't desire it, but he will use it.
prayed this morning that God would just give us blinders to look backwards and that we'd forget some of those horrible things that we've done. Because here's why. Because, because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of Jesus' willingness to die in, in our place, because of the, the righteousness that we've been clothed in through the work of Christ alone, God no longer sees our past. God no longer sees the deception and the, the lies and the evil doings that we've all done. And he only looks at us in Christ. And, and we need to understand this, that we might then look forward to what he has for us. The cross of Christ is probably one of the loudest pronouncements that the universe has ever seen. The cross of Christ, where Jesus willingly laid down his life for you and I, it speaks into eternity for us. It is, it is louder than anything you have ever done. It is louder than any thought you have ever considered. It is, it is louder than, than anything that could ever possibly take place in your life. That God will always look back to the cross of Christ. And if we, by faith, believe that Jesus has died for us. I just want to, I want to, I have to stop. I'm out of time. I want to pray for us. And I want, I would love for that to be the reality that we can hang on to. But in Genesis chapter 3, he says, I will send someone to rescue you. And he did it. He did it in the lineage of the genealogy of Jesus. If you read it, it is a who's who of really bad people. <laughs> like, for, some people think that the church is just filled with spotless people and all of that. Oh, they have the wrong church they're thinking about. <laughs> you think when you come to church here, especially that you're, you know, that this is the perfect church for you or whatever. I love that you guys think that, but it was, it was made imperfect when you walked in. I love you. It was until we walked in, right? That's, that's what God does. And we can wallow in that. We could be frustrated that we're not perfect in this and that, but, but God is trying to just remind us of what he said would happen, happened. And that through faith in him, we just have to look forward now. Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to pray for us. Lord, I confess, I, I feel oftentimes that the message sometimes doesn't connect. And Lord, you know I wrestle with this. As a communicator, I want to communicate. But Lord, I just, for, I just give up today. I'm just going to ask you to speak to your people. I'm going to ask you to, to rise um, up in them a desire to declare the goodness of who you are, that they would, they would be seated in this reality that they understand that you've died for them, that the work uh, of trying harder and doing more, et cetera, et cetera, is, is not necessary because Jesus has already fulfilled it all. We can now just look forward to the promises that you've given us. As Jesus says in John's gospel, that he has come to give us not just life, but life to the full, an abundant life. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you lead us into that reality. You lead us into that. God, I pray for the next few minutes that your son would be glorified. 
that the, the praises from 160 people in a little bitty church on the corner of Eldo and Water would reach heaven for the next 10 minutes, for the next 15 minutes, that, that, that Jesus would hear the praises of his people, some of those who understand it now. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit to make it um, apparent to us. We love you, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.